So we're in a series on the resistance, the church and its mission. And we're looking at taking the church back to Jesus so that we can go forward and on with God. That's our desire. And to do this, we're examining the passages of Scripture where Jesus talks about the church. And Jesus talks about the church in Matthew 16 and 18. We looked at those passages last week briefly. We're going to come back to Matthew 16 at the very end of this series, at the end of July. But now we'd like to come back to John on the island of Patmos where we began this series, in the wilderness. It's where Jesus provides a visionary message for seven churches in Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. So I love that we're on this journey together. So I brought my luggage today. How many are going to Turkey with me today? A few, yes. This is our luggage that has seen the world, so I'm, I'm taking it. Somehow still tagged. I don't even know to where. That's okay. Everybody else bring your luggage today? Nobody? That's okay. You know, the guy I worked with in Sudan, Dick Brogdon, he went to some meetings in Africa with my area director, showed up at the airport with a toothbrush. To which my area director said, you know, this meeting is four days, right? Dick's like, yeah, I'm good. The area director said, well, I don't know that I am. You're staying in my room. <laughs> but that's okay. We're good. So we're going to go and head to the parking lot, load up on charter buses with Lafayette Limo, head to O'Hare International Airport so that we can fly to Turkey this morning. That's our destination. So we're on this journey going through the summer and looking at, let me see what picture I'm on here. Oh, there's O'Hare Airport. Maybe it's familiar to some. But we're going to fly to Istanbul, and then we're going to fly to Izmir. So here's the next slide I've got here. There we go. So we're headed to Patmos. That's where we started. Istanbul would be further north. It's be off this map, but we're going to fly into, this is a first century map. So Smyrna would be modern day Izmir. So we fly into Izmir, and then we've got to head down the coast so we can get over to this tiny island, Patmos. So we've got to be on a boat for several hours. How many are okay with boats? Is that a, yeah, most of you. Some have motion sickness. Uh, we'll sit you near the back. We'll do our best. But that's where we're headed. So we want to start with John on the island of Patmos. That's where we began this series with John in the wilderness. But I have to say, that island looks okay, so that's Patmos. So that's not too bad. Now he's by himself, so maybe he's a bit lonely. But what I want to talk about as we get into the series is John is on Patmos. He gets a message from post-resurrection Jesus with letters to seven churches in modern-day Turkey. And they're listed on the map behind me. And what I want, to, want you to understand is that these churches, they represent the local church in every century and every continent at all times and all places. The letters addressed to them reveal what Jesus desires of every faith community. This is why they're so valuable to us today. And just as Jesus speaks a unique word to each one of us, Jesus is very personal in the way that he speaks to our lives. I pray that the Lord has spoke to you in the service today or that he speaks through this message as well. He does this with the churches in Revelation. He speaks an important message to each and every one. He knows exactly what is happening in each church, their successes, failures, victories, problems, and difficulties. He knows what's needed and has important instructions for every congregation. Jesus is deeply personal. Jesus tells John, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks examining each one of these churches, and this morning we're going to start with the church in Ephesus. Now let me take a quick minute, one last appeal to encourage you to sign up for a connect group. Because one of the messages, the letter to the church in Thyatira, it's only going to be available to those in connect groups. Because we have a guest speaker coming July 3rd, so that message I've got to 
basically film in advance and send to our connect group. So if you want to be a part of this entire series, you need to be in a connect group. So I'm going to make that one last appeal. So you can sign up on Main Street Theater after the service. I encourage you to get in a connect group this summer. But let's move forward and take a tour of Ephesus this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 2 this morning. And I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Simply out of reverence for the fact that God sent his word to us. So we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The message given to the church in Ephesus is important for our church today. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'll give you a minute to find it. Last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation is important for us today. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and hearing and bearing up to my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have against you, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. At this you have at this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also have. He who has, has, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Amen. These are the very words of God. I invite you to be seated this morning. All right, so we're on Patmos. John gets this message to the seven churches in Revelation. Jesus gives this visionary message. So from Patmos, then what we're going to do is jump back on that boat. We're going to head to Ephesus. So it's along the coast here, so you can see Patmos. We're going to go back, maybe head to Miletus and head north so we can get back up to Ephesus. But that's where we're going to start in this journey. And what we're going to see as we follow this pattern is it basically follows an ancient Roman road, a ring road that goes and follows all the way through, heading north and then heading back to the south, down to Laodicea is where we end up. So from Patmos, we're now in Ephesus. And here's what we find in Ephesus. It's located on the western shores of Asia Minor. You can see that on the map. The convergence of three highways from the north, the east, and the south. You can see those marked on there as well. It was a regional trade center. One of the greatest seaports of the ancient world, located at the mouth of the Caister River, silting problems plagued the harbor. It became a problem. In fact, at this point, Ephesus, when you go visit the ruins, it's almost a mile in off the coast because of that silting. But its strategic location made Ephesus an important center for commerce. As a free city, it maintained great political importance, administered justice, and hosted the yearly Pan-Ionian Games. The city was the first in Asia to introduce gladiatorial combat in a stadium where many Christians were also martyred. 
The city of Ephesus was the worship center for the fertility goddess Artemis, or Diana. Thousands made pilgrimage to Ephesus each spring to attend these festivals, just as Jews traveled to Jerusalem for their feasts. The height of glory was the temple of Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, huge columns. It was magnificent to see. A majestic structure where people bought and deposited valuable items, where criminals sought asylum, and where grossly immoral acts took place. There was legalized prostitution here. Worship at the temple was weird, ecstatic, hysterical. Worshippers worked themselves into emotional frenzies. The Ephesians were cosmopolitan and transient people, living in a city with a history of cultural political change. The people had a reputation all over Asia of being fickle, superstitious, and immoral. Yet Paul recognized the strategic importance of the location of the city. He stayed longer in this city than in any other place, spending at least two and a half years there doing ministry. He spoke in public settings, visited homes, and saw the message of Jesus spread. Now, some people may think, you know, it's hard to be a Christian in a modern, industrial, and competitive world. But when you look at Ephesus, you look at the early church, it reminds us Christians had to choose right living from the outset. In other words, you're not off the hook. We're still called to be both courageous and compassionate Christians. Aquila, Priscilla, and later Paul, they greatly helped the Ephesian church. We see that in Acts. The believers labored to the point of exhaustion and dealt with hostility from a society at odds with their faith. Disbelieving Jews spoke poorly of the Christian community. We see this in Acts 19. Seven sons of Sceva invoked the name of Jesus and became overpowered by a man that was possessed by an evil spirit. Later, Demetrius the silversmith, if you look at Acts, he provoked a mob against the Jesus-following community for causing many to turn away from worshiping Artemis. What a wonderful thing. The Christians turned them from following idols. The drastic drop in sales of silver images caused the rioters to fill the massive town theater. It was really fun to visit as we went a couple of years ago to Ephesus. So I'm going to jump to the next slide here. This is that massive theater. Now, when we initially stepped onto the ruins, there was another smaller theater, and I took a picture, and I thought, well, that's not that big of a deal. And then we got to the end of town, and we're like, holy cow, that's massive. So here's our family. Lucas was still small enough to be strapped to Shelly. Those funny kids hailing her nice little bob haircut. Now, the building behind it is the library. That came a couple hundred years after, so that would not have been there during the time of the writing of, of Revelation. Um, but what I want to point out here, this stadium was there. So this is the theater. Can you imagine a riot in that place, how many people that housed? That's huge. And then basically standing up here from the theater, I'm looking out toward what would have been the shoreline. So that was going out toward the harbor, which you can see now. They're no longer waterfront property. But that's Ephesus today when you go to the ruins. It's a fun place to visit. Early in the church's formation, Paul commended, as we look at the hostility that this church faced, the faith community still grew and multiplied. That's the magnificent thing here. So Paul tells them, he commends them for their love, but also we see they faced hostility, but they still grew and multiplied. The Ephesian church sent believers out to plant more churches. The seven churches of Revelation, what we're going to look at when you see the map, you see that basically Paul was in Ephesus, he set these people out, and so we think that it looks like these churches were basically established from Paul in Ephesus. This was a missional church. Acts 19.10 shares how because of the work of this church, within a couple of years, every resident of Asia had heard the story of Jesus. That's wonderful. What an important city. What an important church. 
So Paul commends the church early on. He says, For since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. So initially, Paul was commending the church for their love. And Revelation records the church that they had a low tolerance for false teachers. Acts 19 describes new Christians that were no longer practicing sorcery. This is in Acts 19. They renounced their activities and they burnt, not sold, magical scrolls valued at the equivalent of 50,000 days wages. Think about that. So 50,000 days wages. I calculated that would be 136 years worth of work. So in today's standard, if you take a $50,000 median income, multiply that out times 136 years, those scrolls that they burnt had the value of $6.8 million. Can you imagine lighting almost $7 million on fire? I can't. That's hard to imagine. But you think about what they were burning. They were burning magical scrolls. Those Christians were so committed to Christ, and they looked at those scrolls as, as evil, so they didn't want to turn them over to someone else. They wanted to destroy evil. That's how committed they were to destroying falsehood in Ephesus. These people desired right living before God, but their quest for truth and holiness left them without love for God and neighbor. They appeared to become overly critical, losing a quality they first possessed divine love. And you see that in churches. Oftentimes, you might see a church that's very loving, but honestly, not real biblically sound. Or you see a church that follows right doctrine, but they're not very compassionate in the world. But Jesus is saying, you need to have both. You need to stand on God's word, and you need to display my love unto the world. You have to have both. You know, as I've been praying over this series and what to share on Sundays, I felt like I didn't want to simply repeat what's in the, the chapters of the book. And even though I talk a lot about Ephesus in the book, and so I pulled some of that material, what I really wanted to do is dive deeper into the qualities that Jesus expects of his church. So here's what I encourage you to, to get the most out of the series. I'd encourage you to read the chapter ahead of time. So we're in chapter 3 this week, that the church is called to love. And then I would encourage you, so you can pick up these books. They're still back on Main Street Theater, $10. Proceeds go to Connection Point Missions. So get the book, read the chapter ahead of time, come take notes on the message, and then dive into a connect group so you can work through the discussion questions. Because here's my goal. I want us all to be on the same page with what Jesus expects of his church. I am convinced as we take the church back to Jesus, we can see wonderful things happen in his name as we move forward with God. So that's my goal in this summer series. So now the first letter Jesus sends to the seven churches in Revelation, to the church in Ephesus, he tells the church that we're called to love. But what does the Bible tell us about love? It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but be granted eternal life. God is love. And for us to reflect him to the world, so must we be. John writes about the love of God in another New Testament book. So John, the guy that writes Revelation, he also wrote three epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So what I'm going to do is I want to look at what John says about love in 1st John. So you're welcome to turn with me there if you'd like. It'll be on the screen as well. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And here's what he writes. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love God does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. 
this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. What a wonderful passage. And here's three points I'd like to draw. The first is this, that to reflect God, we must love because God is love. Love comes from God. Our faith family's commitment to mutual love is the explicit requirement of the gospel as revealed in God himself. Love for your brother and sister at Connection Point comes from God. It is not a virtue innate in us. It is not learned behavior. It is from God. He is the originator. He is the giver of love. What John is writing about here, his vision, is that believers who are so completely healed inwardly that reconciliation within the community is a natural byproduct of spiritual maturity. And if you love your brother and sister, you love the person sitting next to you this morning, not only are you born of God, but you know him. This is what our scripture shares this morning. If you love your brother and sister, you know God. But here's the flip side. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God in his very nature is love. All of God's activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is the expression of his nature is to love. And since this is true of God, our failure to love can only mean that we have no knowledge of him. We have not really been born of God. We do not have his nature. And so I ask, do you have love in your heart for all people? They all bear the image of God. Iranians, Somalis, Israelis, Palestinians, Chinese, the homeless, drug addicts. They were all made in his image. They are all deserving of his love. Jesus died for them all. He died for everyone in this room. So are you showing love to your brothers and sisters at Connection Point? One of the practical ways we display love for one another is by serving each other. Jesus says, no greater love but to lay down your life for another. The practical outgrowth of that is service. And so we're currently in the process of reorganizing what we do on a Sunday morning in ways we serve one another. And so we're going to invite you to be a part of that reorganization. So next week when you come in, you're going to come into tables and chairs because we're going to have a volunteer spring picnic. And we want to invite you to be a part. Simply come, we're going to worship, and then we're going to have box lunches and talk about you being a part of serving one another and expressing love to one another in that way. Kids will be taken care of. We've got Kevin and Jennifer and the youth. They're going to keep up with those kids and entertain them for you. So you can simply come and engage and be a part in very practical ways. We want to make it simple. It'll be short, short presentation so that you can see what it means to serve one another on a Sunday morning. Now, to help us prepare, we'd love if you'd email Deanne. So D. Dalton at Connection Point. Deanne is saying amen. Because we want to make sure we're prepared for you. We want to have a fun week next week as we talk about what it means to serve one another and serve our community on a Sunday morning. To reflect God, we must love because God is love. And the second thing is to reflect God, we must sacrifice 
because God sacrificed. The simple but profound statement, God is love, is explained by what God did. He showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The love of God involves concrete and objective acts. God's love required him to send his son. God's love in us requires acts by which we show our love for one another. The purpose of God's love act is that we might live through him. God's love for us defines what true love requires, a commitment to sacrifice your most beloved possession for another's gain. That's what the definition of true love is. For God, love required that he send his son as a sacrifice for our sins. The love of God is most powerfully displayed, not merely in the Son coming, but in Christ's work on the cross. Christmas is never enough. It is followed by Good Friday and Easter. In the cross, Jesus voluntarily took my place. He took your place, bearing the guilt and punishment that the evil in our hearts deserve, dying our death so that evil is canceled and we can have a relationship with God. So I'm going to pause here that if you're here today and have yet to respond to God's love, the sending of his son Jesus as a sacrifice for you, don't delay. I still have one point to cover, and it's short, but I don't want to wait to the end of the service for you to be able to respond. So I'm going to ask, even in the middle of our message here, if you could bow your heads for a moment. I want to take a moment to pause in this room. Have you been slow or even unwilling to respond to the love of God? But do you have a soul fueled desire to accept God's love gift today. You can respond to God's love today by allowing me to pray with you that the New Testament says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you want him to be Lord of your life and believe in your heart, this is an important piece, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the requirement is that you desire to follow God wholeheartedly and that you believe Jesus is the son of God. So if you'd like to accept the free gift of God's love this morning to make a decision to follow Jesus today, I'm just going to simply ask you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you briefly, and we're going to continue on this message this morning. Anyone here today that would like to say yes to Jesus, I want to follow you today. I want to make sure in every Sunday we come, if there's somebody here that the Holy Spirit has drawn into this place, you have an opportunity to say yes. All right, yep, I see two hands. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else here today that would like to make a decision and wants to respond to God's love for you that he sent his son? I'm just going to go ahead and pray for a moment. If we could all pray together this prayer, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for coming, for dying on the cross for my sins. I desire for you to be Lord of my life. I believe, Jesus, that you came, that you lived a life to model, to die on the cross for my sins, and that you rose from the grave victorious. And I just desire to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
If I don't say it at the end, I just would encourage you, if you raise your hand this morning, Pastor Jennifer, if you don't mind to just stand for a minute, at the end of the service, I would just encourage you to come find Pastor Jennifer. She'll be up here at the front simply to give you a Bible and for us to be able to follow up with you. And so that'll happen at the end. We've got some other things happening at the end of the service, but I don't want you to miss the opportunity to get a Bible and to be able to know where to go from here in following Jesus. To reflect God, we must love and we must sacrifice. The last point I'd like to share is to love like God is a visible expression of him to the world. This is the most important point. Let me say it again. To love like God is a visible expression of him to the world. John wraps a section of scripture up with this statement. No one has ever seen God, but here's the interesting conclusion. I love this. He says, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. If we love each other, we know that God is present with us. God's love, which originates in himself, was manifested in his son and perfected in his people. What a powerful concept John is writing about here. God's love for us is perfected only when it is reproduced in us or among us as a faith family. It is through man that the love of God finds its fulfillment on earth. When you and I are loved supernaturally by another Christian, when you and I are loved supernaturally by the body of Christ, we gain a fresh vision of God's love at work in this world. The revelation of God in the church and our love is the way God discloses himself to a watching world. The revelation of God in the church, this is important, in our love is the way God discloses himself to a watching world. The world is watching the church. What are we displaying? The church is God means of his love mission. And Jesus, of course, mentions this. It's recorded in John 13. It says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And when asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus declares, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our first family expectation, I talked about family expectations a couple of months ago. Our first one, the most important one is love Jesus and others. So one of the opportunities we have as a faith family to display love to our neighbors is through showing hospitality to our international students at Purdue. Some of you already do this. Uh, Beth Tucker, she's here from International Friendship Program. She's got a table out in the lobby today. And it's visiting to provide us an opportunity for you to love the world by loving your neighbor, your neighbors at Purdue. So I'm going to invite Kevin and, and Amy and Paula to come because I would just want to interview them briefly as we close today and ask them about this program, which I know several are involved with, if you guys wouldn't mind to come. I'm going to move this out of the way. Can we welcome them this morning? Sit wherever you like. Pick a stool. Sorry, that was me. Kevin, I might start with you and Amy. So the first question I'd like to ask, before I get into that, though, let me talk a little bit about Purdue. Some of you are aware of Purdue and statistics. Some of you are not. The international student body at Purdue comprises almost a quarter of the student population there. There are 5,000 undergraduate students, 4,000 graduate students that come from an international setting. So just over 9,000 international students right here in our neighborhood. 9,000. 
They come from all over, China, India, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, Colombia, Turkey, Italy, Japan, Germany, Spain, Taiwan, Iran, Bangladesh, Pakistan. The list goes on 129 different countries. Isn't that amazing? You live in a community with 129 other cultures. Paul, in writing to Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12, he talks about the mark of a true Christian. So I'm going to squeeze together verses 9 and 13 here. Here's what he says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And he says, always be eager to practice hospitality. One of the expressions of love is simply showing hospitality to others. It's a very simple way to do it. And we know that for international students, as they come, it's a challenge to integrate into another country. Shelly and I know that very personally. It's hard to get involved in places like the Sudan and in Jerusalem. But what helped us was people who showed us love, who showed us hospitality, and helped us understand better the culture in which we were living. Uh, So what I want to ask, the first question for for Kevin and Amy is, what does it mean to host an international student? Yes, I'll start. Um, To me, when I would first hear the word hospitality, and I don't know if any other women can um, feel the same thing along with me, it, it would just kind of make me really nervous. And I'm, oh my gosh, hospitality, that means my home has to be a certain way. That means I have to have all the right serving dishes, and I have to have this wonderful meal, and I have to have the right candles, and you know, and all that stuff. Um, that Those can be some things that you can do in showing hospitality, but hospitality really, it just boils down to just to just loving, uh, to just accepting someone else. Let them know that you care for them. Um, as, as we've been able to practice hospitality, especially through the International Friendship Program over the last couple years, um, oftentimes it's just meeting someone at Starbucks. It's um, taking a hike over at Prophetstown State Park and inviting an international student to come along with us. Um, so it, it's not always just doing the things and presenting things and presenting our, our home and all this wonderful stuff, but it's just living our everyday life and allowing them to join with us and let them feel a part and let them feel cared for. That's great. Uh, what motivated you to show hospitality to international students? Well, first of all, it's just responding to the word of God and just doing what you've been preaching on today, just sharing our love and, and uh, being hospitable. I love that scripture in Romans 12, 13. It just says, practice hospitality. Hmm. And that's it. Uh, it's just such an easy way to share God's love. But we um, have traveled, had the privilege to travel to a few other countries and have just fostered a love for the world. And, and we've realized that wherever you go, people are the same. They have the same aspirations. They have the same desires for family and and whatnot, and um, so that just that opened up our our hearts to to people from other countries. But it's just so fascinating to know that all these countries are within just a few miles from us, and that we can that that scripture in Matthew twenty eight where Jesus says to go into all the world. It's it's intimidating. It's like how can I pack my bag and travel everywhere. It costs a lot of money to fly places. You don't have to fly anywhere here. You can just open up your heart and open up your home and just do that simple thing of sharing love with with one student um, is all it takes is just opening up your heart. And that's fascinating to us, and we, we thoroughly enjoy that. And so how have you seen that make a difference in the lives of the international students you've interacted with? 
Um, I know some of the feedback that we've gotten, and uh, some of it's kind of sad. Uh, one, one girl from China uh, was here one time, and after meeting with her a few times, having in her home different things, she, d she said, why are you so nice to me? She said, most people here aren't nice to me. Mm. Um, that, that really broke our hearts. So I, I think by showing kindness, by showing someone that you're concerned about them, um, that you realize that it's a struggle for them to be away from home, to be in a strange place, in a strange land, and not have all the familiar around them, um, you know, is difficult. So, so if we can just touch them in some way, you know, and let them just see the love of Jesus through us, just caring about them and showing concern um, makes a difference, and they begin to open up, you know, their hearts and begin um, to share things with them that, that maybe that they wouldn't have. And in that way, we're able to pray for them and with them. And, um, and it's also, it's impacted, I think, their families, too. We've gotten so many um, emails and different communication from the parents over time just saying, you know, just thank you so much for caring for my son, for uh, doing things with my daughter. It, it's just meant the world to us. So we're not only impacting, uh, hopefully, the student, but also families That's around great. the world. And how do you feel like it's changed you guys? Because, you know, we... We look at the scripture, we know that we're blessed to be a blessing. We bless the nations, but in turn, it's like we become a part of that cycle as well. I mean, so how has that changed you guys? Um, anytime you open up your heart to love someone, it changes you. And it, it's brought so much joy to our lives just to, just to, to love, but loving international students brings it enriches your life so much hmm. uh, just opening up your heart to them and and learning about their culture and hearing about their families and their food and it's just it's fascinating just to to love them and and to have them in your home or to be with them and so um, Paula is going to be with us for just another month and what a joy it's been to know her and Many of the students that we have spent time with, and a lot of you here know this too, but your relationship goes beyond just your time that you spend hosting a student, but you can have a lifelong friendship if you want. We have, I'm so thankful for WhatsApp, if you're familiar with that. <laughs> just this morning, I got a text from a girl that we hosted last year wanting to know how our dog is doing because our dog is injured right now, and I just thought, isn't that cool? <laughs> Somebody across the other side of the world cares about my dog. Um, but she fell in love with our dog when she was here and just is very concerned about her. So that's great. So it has enriched our lives, and um, we have received so much back from this than what we've given. And it's just truly been a joy. Kind of along those lines, what do you see as then even a benefit that our families uh, would experience uh, who host within the church? Um, I One thing that... It's kind of sad to me as our children are already grown and out of the house and don't even live in Indiana anymore. Um, but I think that, that especially families with, with young kids still at home or at any age, I mean, what a blessing that would be to host a student and expose your children, you know, to just getting uh, familiar with and, and just experiencing the joy of, um, of experiencing other cultures and getting to know um, people that can explain to them the way that different things are around the world. I mean, mm -hmm. so often we just, you know, our, our little world is our bubble. 
and we don't even think about or realize what it's like in other places and for other people. And um, I mean, that would just be an, an amazing opportunity to begin to warm your children up at a young age, uh, to being able to experience and realize that there's so much more beyond just myself, um, you That's know, and, and to just be able to experience that with them. And I, and I think, you know, and Paula hasn't been able to experience our children, um, you know, but how neat for the international students, too, to see um, our families and the way that, that we are, especially as, as Christian families, the way that we love one another and, and treat our children and hopefully mm. seeing the respect to the parents and all that. That's great. I want to say as a church, if we, if we all just made an effort just with one student, I mean, it's just such a great opportunity here at Purdue. There is at many universities across the United States, but right here, the world is right here at our doorstep and we have an opportunity to experience the joy of just giving of ourselves and reaching the world. I mean, it's amazing that the world is right here. That fascinates me, mm-hmm. that they're here just a few miles away. Over ten, over 9,000 students are here. And so if, if all of us, not everybody's going to do it, but if, if, if your heart is moved to do it, we could really make a difference just by touching one one student, by giving them the practical love. You don't have to preach the gospel or you don't have to do something all you got to do is just open up your heart and just and just love someone take them in and share your life with them you get so much in return i think as a church we could really make an impact here at Purdue. we could make a dent we need all the church in lafayette west lafayette involved but we could certainly make a really big dent in in the needs there at purdue so on the practical, then, you, you kind of get into that. What is the requirement for somebody if they want to sign up to be a host family? Now, the requirement's so easy, and I just have to toot Beth's horn here. She works so hard at, at getting um, all the administrative details taken care of with students that are coming in, and she's constantly looking for people to just, just say yes, yes, and just sign up. She takes care of all the details. All we have to do is show up at the greet and meet dinner, which they start out with, and you meet your student. And from there, it's just up to you on how you want to reach out to them. We invite them to our family gatherings, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, those kinds of things. But we just try to make a simple effort to get together with them for coffee or invite them to Turkey Run State Park or something that you're doing that's fun that you want to include them in on. Um, or just simply driving to campus and just meeting them and talking with them. So it's, it's really simple, and you can do as much as you want. Um, they do ask that you at least make three or four contacts with your student throughout the semester. And so there's not a whole lot that you have to do. It's just picking up your cell phone, texting or calling them, and touching base with them and encouraging them, loving them, opening up your life to them. Okay. Thanks, guys. I want to ask Paula a couple questions. And so what was it like for you coming to West Lafayette, uh, just coming to the U.S., I guess, in general? But any thoughts, any fear? Hello, I'm Paula. <laughs> well, uh, for coming, I was very nervous mm-hmm. uh, because this is my first time out of my country and yeah. uh, being away of my family, from my family. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, expecting uh, and very nervous, uh, asking myself, how is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it was just like a little scary, but I knew that this experience for sure was going to change my whole life. Mm. 
That's great. I mean, so now what, how's it been like to be hosted by the Smiths? Well. <laughs> you can be honest. It's okay. Mm, I have told them that uh, they have been such a blessing for me. Because, you know, uh, when I was coming, I was, I knew that I was going to be away from my family. And I didn't really know that I was going to have a, a host family. Mm. So, uh, being with them and sharing with their family, with Kevin, Amy, uh, their dog, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> it, has been, it has been a blessing for me. They mm. had uh, gave me um, lots of love. Mm. And um, it felt very good because I quickly felt like being part of their family their hospitality, their simplicity, their good sense of humor. You know, it has been like a, a surprise for me because mm -hmm. I didn't, I was not expecting this for me. That's great. So it's kind of being with my, with my family here and they give me a lot of support. I don't know, I just want to thank Beth and the and Purdue University because of this uh, amazing friendship, international friendship program. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Paula. Uh, any other comments you guys like to share? Anything else that I didn't cover? You don't have to. Okay. Yeah. What I'd like to encourage you to do, when, on the seats when you came in this morning, in, inside of the uh, program that you've got there, there was an interest card it simply says, I would like to be a host family for the International Friendship Program. If you could take that out, all you have to do is write your name and contact information. We'll follow up. It's very simple. We'll have a, a brief, less than an hour orientation. They have a meet and greet, Kevin talked about, in September. And then it's simply trying to maybe get together with them about once a month. That's essentially the commitment required. But what a wonderful thing for our church to have the opportunity, you know, Purdue... Uh, Tim Keller in his book, City Church, he talks about the city being a heartbeat that takes people in and sends them back out. And he mentions that really in referencing universities, and that's exactly what Purdue is. Purdue really is a heart that is taking people in and sending them back out. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if Connection Point could be that in-between point, receiving people and sending them back out as well? Wouldn't that be phenomenal? So I just encourage you, take a minute. If you could fill that out, what we're going to do in closing, very simply is uh, we're going to ask you to drop that in offering buckets on your way out the door, and we'll follow up with you. So there's no commitment now, even the next couple of months. It's just we want to make sure as we have opportunity with the program to follow their deadlines to say, hey, we've got this many people interested. Uh, I think that we, we stand in a community where basically the neighborhood church of Purdue uh, I think it should be easy for us to host even 50 uh, different international students. How can we not host 50 students and make that kind of investment and make a difference in the lives of, of international students that way? Well, I'm just going to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the way that we can display love to the world. We thank you first and foremost for the example that you gave us that love involves sacrifice. And so I just uh, pray over our church body that they would be willing to sacrifice some time but we know, Lord, that by losing our lives, we find it. And we know that it would be a blessing to display your love to the world by hosting students, by serving one another, uh, by giving our lives fully to you. And so I just pray as we leave from this place today that we would be committed to loving our community. May our community know so much more what we are for than what we are against. Jesus, for we are for this world because you are. And Jesus, I pray that we would be courageous in our 
our stance in truth, following that biblical view on life, but Lord, may we be compassionate as we display your love to the world. May we do these things boldly in your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go with God this morning.